Good morning, church. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We will be back in 1 Peter in a couple of weeks, but uh, as most of you, I'm sure, know that today is Palm Sunday. And this is the beginning of what is known as Passion Week. And it's so easy for us when it comes to Christmas time and when it comes to Resurrection Sunday and Passion Week for us to just read the same story. But here's the whole point. And here's my prayer for us this morning. We need to know not only what Jesus did, but why he did it. Amen? Because not only did he come, not only did he fulfill prophecy, not only, again, did he, is he the only one who could die for you, who would die for you, but he did all of it because he loves you. And he did all of it because without him, apart from his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, we would all be doomed. And so we must never lose sight of that. Amen? We must never lose sight of that. Let's pray and we'll dig into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, I know that no one is here by chance, nor are there people watching on live stream right now by chance. It's all by divine appointment. So Lord, minister to every heart. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Can you imagine living in this life and in this world right now, not knowing Jesus? No. I can't imagine it. And the sad part is, there may be a few people here that are actually living it. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I'm just glad you're here, and I really pray that you feel welcomed and loved. And I've been praying for you all week, not by name, because I didn't know, didn't know you were going to be here necessarily, but my prayer is that nobody would leave here without Jesus today, amen? And I want to encourage all of us, as we look at Palm Sunday, that as we come to this point, Jesus has been ministering for three years, and we know that when he was 30 years old, that his public ministry began, but we also know that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, and it was God's sovereign plan that his, he would send his son to come and suffer and die in our place so we might have eternal life. And this morning, we're going to take a look at Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, and Lord. If you have your outline, you can grab that. I'll get to that in just a moment. But look, we look at what's going on in the world around us, and the world has no hope, the world has no answers. The world is fighting with each other. And the tragic part is that the word of God said that this would take place. That in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. That they would worship creation rather than the creator. And we're living in a time when people are lost and people have no hope. And guys, we have hope. We have the promise of eternal life. We serve a risen living savior. Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords. I just pulled this up. In one week, here's the LA Police Department, the following fatalities in one weekend. Francisco Sanchez Jr., 18, shot while riding a public bus. David Gillian, 24, shot while trying to stop a robbery. Julio Ohaka, uh, shot while walking into a McDonald's. Brian Green, 27, found dead in a vacant lot with gunshots in his back. Gregory Brandt, shot as he sat in a parked car. Cor Coronado Avila, killed in a drive-by shooting. Devon Brown, shot in his car. Laura, Laura Cohn, shot in an argument. And Thane Wong was found in a canyon with gunshot wounds in his head. That's LA Police Department in a weekend. That's the world we're living in. And you know, it's so sad because we serve the Prince of Peace, amen? And the world needs peace. The world needs the Lord. Jesus Christ is the only answer. It's not a better government. It's not, it's not better laws. Those things can help. But guys, the answer is Jesus, amen? If people come to know the Lord, they won't shoot each other. If people come to the Lord, they won't abort their babies, amen? If people come to know the Lord, they're gonna be loving and kind to other people. The world needs Jesus. He is the only answer. He is our only hope. And this week, we're looking back at the greatest act of love in all of human history, 
as we, we see, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem, a divine appointment waiting for him, knowing that he was going to be scourged, knowing that he was going to be mocked, knowing that he was going to be crucified. And yet he did it anyway out of love for everybody here this morning. Amen? And we must never lose sight of that, the love and grace and the mercy of God. People will say when they read stuff like this, if God is real, if he's a God of love, then why does he allow all these deaths to happen in a weekend in LA? Why? Guys, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. It's not because of a, the loving, gracious, and merciful God. It's because of the ungodly and the, the angry and the bitter and the sinful and lost and dying world. And so the answer is that we, that are, those that are who are lost, need to be saved. And we're thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he didn't die for us because we're good. He died for us because he's good. And he's gracious. And he's merciful. Why are innocent people being innocently gunned down? Why doesn't God do something? As a pastor, I get that question. If your God's true, why doesn't he do something? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next week. I want to encourage you to come on Thursday night, Good Friday service. We're going to look at the cross of Calvary. May that never grow common. Next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, people will come to church if you will invite them. Let me encourage you to invite somebody. Somebody needs to hear about the Lord. But the beginning of Passion Week is today, Palm Sunday. See, people say, why didn't God do something? He did do something. He sent his son. Amen? And we must never lose sight of that. Why is there war? Why is there disease? Why are there rapes and murders? Why have millions of babies been slaughtered in their mother's wombs? Why is there so much hate? Why are there mass shootings? Again, it's not gun laws. It's not, it's not changing the law because you can't, legislating morality won't change it. What we need to do is we need people to be born again, new creations in Christ, and that will change everything. And that's our only hope. It's the Lord. Before Jesus came on his own, the Bible tells us that he came to his own and they received him not. See, Jesus came, and we live in a country that has more exposure to the gospel than probably any country in the world, and maybe any country that's ever existed. And yet, we still have the problems we have, because even though we've been exposed to the truth, most people, sadly, are rejecting it. Jesus came with humility, but humanity rejected him. God created man and placed him in the Garden of Eden. Do you know that before sin entered the garden, that, that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day? Nothing died. There were no drive-by shootings, amen? There was no pain. There was no sorrow. There was no death. There was no suffering. They were married, and they were not arguing. <laughs> Their marriage was perfect for a minute right? Until they listened to Satan. But the point I'm making is up until that point, there was no sin. Nothing died. You didn't have to have a police officer. Why? Because everybody was, and what happened? It was when sin entered into the world that all of this took place. And you know what? Here's the good news. We're going back to Eden one day. Amen. We're going back to where there will be no more sin and no more sorrow and no more death and no more suffering. We're going to get to rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years and see what it'd be like with God in charge. I'm, I'm ready for, who's ready for that program? Amen. And then we're going to send into, we're going to be with him forever with no, with no, no pain, no sorrow, no death, no suffering. But in the meantime, we're here to be salt and light to people that need the Lord so desperately. And guys, we cannot keep it to ourselves. The most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. See, God came as one of us, lived among us, offered himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's almighty God, always has been. He's not created, he's creator. And yet man rejected him, and they're going to cry out, we have no king but Caesar. We're going to see that this morning. The problem you see isn't with God, the problem is with man, who continues to re reject the Lord every single day. Is God more respected now in our country or less respected than he was 25 years ago? What's the answer? Less. less. His name is mocked. His name is cursed. They're attacking the book of Genesis. 
God made us male and female. God is the creator. God is the one who defines marriage. By the way, why would you want to be married when God defined marriage if you don't believe in God? Amen? Whole point is that God is the one who set the guidelines. They're all under attack. Evolution is a lie from the devil. Amen? People tell me all the time, oh, if you knew science, I know, I know, I know omniscience, his name is Jesus Christ, amen? And the reality is that there's those attacks on the truth of God's word. And we need to love the Lord enough and love people enough to be unashamed of the gospel and to speak it with truth and do it in love, amen? God knew mankind would reject his son, but as humanity nailed him to the cross, God used rejection to make a way for us to be saved. I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. You can be forgiven because he was forsaken. So grab the outline. We're going to go through Palm Sunday. We're going to look at when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And we're going to see that he's only going to have a few days there. And there's going to be divine appointments, even though he's headed to the cross. And there's going to be some, uh, we're going to see the things that Jesus speaks about in this short amount of time. It's very important because he's only got a few days there before he goes to the cross. And we'll see the things that he addresses. So Tell the message, Jesus is Messiah, Savior, and Lord. He's not a created being. He's not one of many prophets. He's not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. He must be more than Savior. He must be Lord. And he is the Messiah that they had been waiting for for thousands of years. So just two points. First, Jesus presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. We're going to see right off the bat, fulfilled prophecy. What is prophecy? It's when somebody proclaims something is going to happen and then it does. Let me clue you in. Every other religious leader who has ever lived, every other quote Messiah that the world has reached out to has fulfilled zero prophecies. All of them combined. Jesus, over 200 prophecies, all fulfilled. Where he would be born, how he would live, born of a virgin, how he would die. Prophesied he would be crucified 700 years before crucifixion existed. Guys, the Bible rocks. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. Amen? The word of God is true. We're going to see fulfilled prophecy. I'll just read it to you now. Zechariah 9.9, Behold, your king is coming. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. We'll see that right off the bat. And it's amazing how he fulfilled that prophecy completely. Here's the prophecy I really love. Daniel 9.25. I don't have time to go into all of it. But the way that it works, there's 70 sevens. It's a prophetic thing. One seven is going to be the tribulation. The first 69 sevens is 483 years. In those days, it was 360 days in a year. So that means there was a proclamation made that there'd be 173,880 days between the, the decree to rebuild the temple until Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And guess what? It went forth to rebuild King Artaxerxes, to rebuild the kingdom, to rebuild, rebuild it. And guess what happened? 173,880 days to the day on a foal of a donkey, Jesus marched, came, came riding into Jerusalem. Guys, the Bible rocks, the Bible is true, and all other religious words and messages are a lie from the devil. Amen? Is that pretty direct for you? Is that pretty clear? going to stand for the truth of God's word. We're going to see that he receives the temporary praises of men. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. It's not enough to cry out to him when you're desperate. Those are good things and those are fine. But guys, it's got to go beyond just crying out his name. You need to surrender your life to him. You need to have a relationship with him. We're going to see the crowd crying out, save now we pray you. And much of that very same crowd on Sunday who's crying out his name four days later are going to be crying out, crucify him. Why? Because they were looking for a conquering king, not a suffering Messiah, not a suffering savior. And they were looking for the Lord to give them what they wanted in this life when what he was giving all of us is far better. Amen? And so we're going to see he receives the temporary praises of men, but almost all will reject him. There's nothing new under the sun. And then we're going to see Jesus confront hypocrisy. And why am I sharing this part today? Because I want you to know that when he came into Jerusalem, he was headed to the cross, but he also wanted to confront false religion. And if, Je and if Jesus, if he were to stand here today, I don't think he's going to the White House. 
He's going to go into churches and say, you need to stop preaching anything else but the cross of Calvary. Amen? Let's get people back focused on what matters. And sadly, there's people that are religious and lost. Do you know you can go to church three times a week, five times a week your entire life and go to hell? I came to this church, man. I came to visit, man. I'm talking about hell already. I've been good. Hey, here's the reality. Here's the reality. The reality is that going to church won't save you. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't save you. Being religious won't save you. Giving to charity won't save you. Trying to do good works won't save you. Salvation comes only through the name of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by him. And it's not by our good works, but it's by his great grace. And there's no other way we can be saved. We must never lose sight of that. So he's going to confront hypocrisy He's going to talk to them about how they turned their, his father's house into a den of thieves. And again, the religious had become faithless and fruitless. By your fruit, they shall know you. If you say you're a Christian, but nothing in your life. Now, you're not saved by your good works, but good works are fruit of salvation. Good works are proof that I've been saved. If I say I'm an apple tree, and I'm in my, we had one. I don't know, I think it was whatever kind of tree it was. Some kind of fruit tree that never bore any fruit, so we cut it down. And the reality is that if you say you're a Christian, but you never bear fruit, I'd be concerned for your salvation. Again, the good works don't save you, but the good works are fruit that you've been saved. Amen? So let's begin there looking at Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, and Lord. He presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem... And they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, immediately, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, he shall say to them, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So Bethphage, it means, uh, literally means house of unripe figs. And Jesus had made his way from Jericho, up into the hills of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is on the east of Jerusalem, the last hill before you enter in. Now, what's interesting is, if you've been to Israel, Jerusalem is, you make your way up to Jerusalem. Even though it's in the southern portion of Israel, it's very elevated. And Jesus has traveled a total of 70 miles. And the last 15 from Jericho, you're going uphill, and he is walking with his followers headed to Jerusalem, knowing what's waiting for him, knowing that when he gets there, he is going to be mocked, scourged, crucified. He knows all of that is coming, and he's doing it out of love for us. They've traveled about 15 miles again, nearly 70 miles from when they started out in Galilee. And Along the way, he had divine appointments. And I love this about Jesus, one of the million things I love about him. No matter what he's doing, he was never too busy to stop and minister to the individual. And that should be an example for all of us. Amen? Amen? I'm so busy that I don't have time for you. You know what? People, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And people is what ma- are what matters. Amen? And along the way, Jesus is headed to the cross. He had... Uh, divine appointments with little children, with a rich young ruler, with Zacchaeus, with two blind men. These are just to name a few. Jesus could have said, look, I have important business. I'm headed to the cross. I'm about to save the entire world. I don't have time for you. Guys, whatever we're doing is not as important as what he was about to do. And he stopped and took time to minister to people. And Lord, help us to do the same. Pray for divine appointments. Watch what God will do. He was continually teaching and preparing his disciples. He was an example for them to follow. He's the example for us to follow. He had divinely set a prophetically predicted date with destiny and the very reason that he came to earth. And at the same time, he's headed to the cross to save billions. I love that. He has a divine appointment. He knows the day and the hour that he's going to enter in because it's been prophesied and he's almighty God and he knew that's where he would be, but he still took the time to minister to people. By the way, he gets into Jerusalem right on time. (laughs) Traveled 70 miles, walking, 
got there on time. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I love it. Jesus was on time. Be like Jesus. Amen. Instead of being so stressed out and in such a constant hurry, may we learn to follow the Lord completely, to enter into his rest, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to recognize God-given opportunities to minister to others. And again, praise the Lord for that. It says he drew near to Jerusalem. And again, at the divinely appointed time. Now, what's taking place? There's a significant day in Jerusalem at this time. It's Passover. So the Passover season has come. And literally, uh, Jerusalem would grow to 10 to sometimes 20 times their normal population. So people would come from a great distance to celebrate Passover. Now, Passover was looking back to their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. And as we know, when they were looking back to, to the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt, what it really was pointing to was the cross. Because if you remember that last plague that delivered them out of bondage was they had to take the blood of the lamb. They brought a lamb in. They, they inspected the lamb for four days to make sure it was perfect. Then they would slit the lamb's throat, take its blood, and put the blood of the lamb at the top of the door on both sides and at the feet in the shape of a cross. Again, a couple thousand years before crucifixion. And so they put the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross and the angel of death would pass over. Well, always that was pointing to Jesus. So we should not be surprised that Jesus is entering in to Jerusalem at Passover time because he is the Passover lamb. Amen? So he's coming to Jerusalem at this appointed time. It was God's plan before the foundation of the world. And again, commemorating an event that had taken place some 1,500 years earlier and God's divine deliverance, again, for 400 years in Egyptian bondage, and he delivered them out of bondage. So this was always pointing to the Lord. It's always been about the blood of the lamb. Jesus knew exactly what awaited him. Again, the arrest, condemnation, mock, scourge, crucified, and he came anyway. And then again, he says there in verse 2, so he tells them they're at the Mount of Olives. By the way, if you've ever been to Israel, we're going to do another trip to Israel. I want to, I'm going to start this week looking for an opportunity to go maybe next year. If you've never been to Israel, I want to encourage you to go. But what's amazing, the Mount of Olives is literally, there's the Brook Kidron. This is Jerusalem over here. The temple's over here. And the Mount of Olives is right here. It's where they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's later on in the text. And they arrested him there. But when you look across from the Mount of Olives, that's where Jesus would come in. So there's a, going up the hill there on the Mount of Olives, you ride right down and you go right into the gate into Jerusalem. So this is what Jesus is about to take place. They're at the Mount of Olives. They're looking across. Now, this is crazy if you're the, the apostles. They just walked 70 miles. 70 miles. 15 last miles up from Jericho. And now he says, okay, we've got... A few hundred feet left, go get me a donkey. <laughs> Just saying. We walked all the way here. Doesn't say go get me a steed, right? Doesn't say go get me a camel. Go get me a donkey. And this is what he says in verse 2 and 3. Again, showing that God's in control. Go into the village opposite you. Immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. So he asks these guys to do something that doesn't make any sense. And you know what? Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that doesn't make any sense to you. But it doesn't have to make sense to you. It just has to make sense to God. So when God commands us to do things, sometimes we don't understand. We don't need to question God. We just need to obey God. Amen. Obey God. Highest form of worship is obedience. So fully man as he was seen in his suffering, fully God as we've seen in the power over sickness and death. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's cast out demons. He's calmed the storm. He's walked on water. All of this on his walk to Jerusalem and now seen in his all-knowing, he said, go find this donkey. It's going to be there. How does he know? Because he's God. <laughs> Amen? By the way, every once in a while, you'll see a movie where Jesus figures out somewhere in the movie that he's God. That's nonsense. <laughs> and then Jesus realized he was God. No! He was God before the foundation. You know that he said light is and light was? Jesus did that. Amen? He put the stars in the sky. He created the universe. He knows every, every, everything about us. 
And he's a faithful God. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So when he says, go, people go, oh, that's, that's kind of crazy. How would he know there's a donkey there? He put the stars in the sky. <laughs> Amen. He walked on water and kept walking, unlike Peter who sank. Amen. He, he healed the lame. He healed lepers. He knows everything. We serve an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. Amen. And he tells them, go get me a donkey. And sometimes we don't want that. We want, some, we want a spectacular calling for the Lord. Sometimes God says, show up early and set up the chairs. Amen? Sometimes God says, stop. I was driving. I, I don't do this very often. I was driving on a sales call on a Friday morning. I had to be out in Lake Elizabeth. If you know where that is, go to nowhere and go 45 more minutes past that. <laughs> And I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and there's a guy standing on the corner with a sign that just says, Jesus first. And I stopped and I talked to him. Divine appointments, amen? amen. Rolled the window down, stopped. Had a con- hey, the Lord loves you, bro. Divine appointments. We think, I thought the appointment was what was important, and certainly God did. But, but there's appointments along the way to the appointment, amen? And that's exactly what's happening with our Savior. So why does he need a donkey? He's traveled again nearly 70 miles and now just outside the city and he's very deliberate. He stopped everything. He could have just walked in. He's walked 70 miles. He can walk a hundred yards. But what does he do? Well, we'll see Jesus is sovereign. He's the Messiah and his entrance into Jerusalem was prophesied. They knew for the foundation of the world that he would come in on a donkey. Now, here's the important part about this. There are religious people who've studied this living in the day of Jesus. And there are going to be people waiting, expecting for him to show up. So there were some people that knew that this was a possibility, that he could be coming. And the crowd's going to start to swell up as Jesus shows up. Jesus, by this point, people know that he's performed miracles. There's crowds that would gather around him, often for the wrong reason. They would often come just to see a show, to see if he's going to heal anybody, or he might multiply some fish and loaves of bread and feed thousands. And so You know, hanging out with Jesus was a good place to be, but they didn't fully grasp who he was, most of them. But they also wanted something from him, and that's why they came to him. Now look what it says in verse 4. All this was done, and it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, this is Zechariah 9.9. It's in the Old Testament. You've heard me say this every chapter in the Old Testament, Jesus is in it, every one of them. We just went through genealogies, nine chapters full of genealogies on Thursday nights, and Jesus is in every single chapter of genealogies because the entire Bible is about Jesus, amen? And so Zechariah 9.9, this was prophesied hundreds of years earlier, that this is how the Messiah would arrive, and he's going to do just that. By the way, Muhammad did not ride in on a donkey, neither did... uh, Charles Taze Russell or Joseph Smith or any other false prophet you want to name. Amen. Nobody else fulfilled any prophecies in Scripture. None of them were born of a virgin. None of them died for you, and none of them rose from the dead. Amen. And so it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, you know, as long as you believe in something and you're sincere, you can be sincere and sincerely wrong. Amen. So Jesus enters in Jerusalem, is going to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, and shouting uh, through his actions that he is the Messiah they've been waiting for, and he comes in humbly on a donkey. Now, we know that Jesus is coming back again. What's he riding this time? A white horse. So when he comes the first time, he's coming on an animal of peace. When he comes next time, he's coming on an animal of war to bring righteous judgment. Amen? So he comes in on an animal of peace. The Lloyd promise here is, again, not to the multitudes, but to his disciples. He lets them know, you know, go and find this animal, go be faithful, and he's letting them know. And this is a promise to those who would follow Jesus, those who've been born again. Notice what he says here. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. You know what? It's easy to pass over that verse. He told them to go do something that didn't make any sense, and they did it anyway. Amen? I love the simplicity of this verse. They could have said, why, Lord? Why a donkey? Donk- First of all, we might not be able to get the donkey to come over here. They're pretty stubborn. Why a donkey, Lord? 
And how do you know we're going to be stealing somebody's donkey? Don't worry, just go get it. So they obeyed. They just did as he had commanded them. Obedience is the highest form of worship. And again, we, need, we too need to learn to simply obey the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 7. So they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And when a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. We know from uh, their palm branches, by the way. Jack, if you're watching, palm trees, brother. Just saying, amen. He hates palm trees. I go, then you're not going to like heaven much because they're going to be there. But palms were a picture of victory. When, so, when, when a king would come back having won a battle, they would wave palms as a song, a song of, of great victory had taken place. And here, just Jesus is coming in. He's coming in, and he's going to bring victory over sin and death. Amen? But as he comes in, they're recognizing him as a king, but not the king of kings. They want him to come in, and they want him to overthrow the Roman government. Was the Roman government kind? No. They were wicked. And I get it. But if Jesus comes back today, I don't want him to overthrow the White House, though they need it. Amen? When Jesus, if Jesus comes, I want him to take us home to heaven, because that's what matters. Amen? And that's why Jesus came. And so initially, what happens is they start laying their clothes out on the ground. They put Jesus on the cold of donkey. They got the palm branches. They're waving him, waving him at him. They're giving him the, the entrance of a king into the city. And they're praising him. See, palm branches, again, are emblems of victory and success. And this is an amazing scene. As a great multitude laid out the red carpet, came out to honor Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. And Passover was the most exciting and most crowded time in Jerusalem. So Jesus is announcing to them all through his fulfillment of prophecy that he's the Messiah they've been waiting for. Most of you know before we moved here to the school when we lost our building due to COVID out in Calabasas that we were meeting in a synagogue. And Rabbi Ron and I had a lot of discussions and the other rabbis who were there had a lot of discussions. And this is one of the many discussions that we had. I said, look, what does it say about the Messiah? And they went, oh, uh, born of a virgin. It's in the Old Testament. It's in your half of the book. Read it. <laughs> born of a virgin. Anybody ever claimed to be born of a virgin? Oh yeah, Jesus. And where was he going to be born? He says to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, let me see. Who was born in Bethlehem who claimed to be born of a virgin? Oh, yep, that'd be Jesus. Zechariah 9.9, riding in on a colt, the donkey of a colt. Who did that? Jesus, amen? He's pointing to the fact that he is the Messiah. And the only reason people reject him as, by the way, this is a Jewish book about a Jewish savior and we love Israel and we love the Jewish people and they're God's chosen people and God's not done with them yet, Amen. And praise God for the Jewish people. We wouldn't have the Bible. Amen? And we serve a Jewish Savior. Praise God for that. That being said, Judaism won't save you. Neither will Calvary Chapel save you. Only Jesus can save you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Salvation comes through him and through him alone. So he's announcing to them all through his words, his works, his miracles he's already performed. They've been questioning him and doubting him. He is the one they've been waiting for. Guys, if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you came because it's Palm Sunday. Maybe somebody invited you. I want you to know Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. You're the, he's the one. He's the answer. He'll make your life make sense. Doesn't mean your life will get easier. Might even get tougher. But you know what? You'll have the promise of eternal life. Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And guess what? Having a relationship with Jesus is all that ultimately matters. Amen. Amen? And here's this picture. Luke's gospel, before Jesus entered into Jerusalem as he was on the back of the donkey, he, he wept. He began to weep. You know why? Because he knew most would reject him. And he wasn't weeping because he was going to be rejected. He was weeping because people were going to be separated from him for all eternity because they rejected him. Does that make sense? Jesus doesn't get his feelings hurt when people reject him. His heart is broken when people reject him because he knows 
that that means they will be separated from him for all eternity. Amen? Amen. So there's the exhortation. Now watch verse 9 and 10. So their clothes are on the roof. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. First of all, son of David is clearly a messianic title. They're recognizing him as the Messiah they've been waiting for. The genealogies and chronicles go through the line of David because Jesus is the son of David and the Messiah would have to be the son of David. Not only born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only a Jew, but through the line of King David. He's the line of the tribe of Judah, through the tribe of Judah and King David. So they're crying out, son of David. And they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. word Hosanna there in Hebrew is save now. They're saying, save us now, please. We need to be saved. We need to be saved. Look, we need to be saved. They're, they're waving it. They're giving him a victorious. As he comes into the land, they're crying out to him, save now, we pray you, save us. Son of David, Messiah. But the problem is they're not saying save us from our sin. They're saying save us from the Romans. Save us from the White House. Save us from the government. Save us from our taxes. Save us from our burdens. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just come to save us from our taxes? Amen? Amen. Or to save us from the White House. He came to save us from our sin, to redeem us, that we might have eternal life. People lined up cheering. Should have been this way every day when people who came into contact with Jesus. Amen? Should have been just this day. Unique in that Jesus didn't try to silence them when they gave him the accolades. They were calling him son of David. He didn't correct them because they were right. Amen? Amen. Open praise, adoration, recognition as the Messiah was more than just acceptable. It was warranted. And Jesus no longer warning against such open praise. He is now encouraging them. Jesus knew the way before him. And he hit it head on. He didn't sneak into Jerusalem. See, he knew that when he got there, that when it was made public that he was there, that he was going to face attacks from both the Romans, but even more specifically, the religious leaders who were lost. They were religious. They wore the black robes. They, they were supposed to speak for Almighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they had lost their way. They'd made religion a way for themselves to be profitable, for themselves to be honored and to be famous. And so when Jesus came, they saw him not as the Savior, but as a threat. And here's the problem with the world today. You know what? I have people tell me, I've had people tell me that the best thing that could happen to our country is if all the Christians would just get up and leave. Well, we're about to. <laughs> And we'll see how that works out. <laughs> Amen. But what they don't recognize is any blessing upon this nation is because of the remnant of believers that are here. And when you remove God's people and you remove the Holy Spirit, it's a disaster. Amen. And so the answer is Jesus. The hope is in Jesus. There's no other reason. But the world we live in today isn't any different than the people 2,000 years ago. Because see, you either see Jesus as a savior or he's a threat to your way of life. Amen? Why do people want to shout down Christians? Because they don't like the message because what does the message do? It reveals that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me my lifestyle. Oh, well, I was born this way. Well, you were born sinner just like me. So yes, you were. You're a sinner just like I am, and I need Jesus, and so do you. Amen? But the sad part is, they see him as Savior, or they see him as somebody who's going to cramp their lifestyle, a threat to the way they want to live. If I give my life to Jesus, I'll have to quit doing this. And the good news is, if you give your life to Jesus, you won't want to do that anymore whatever that is. Amen. Jesus is better than alcohol. Amen. Jesus is better than drugs. He's better than forn fornication. He's better than money. He's better than gambling. He's better than power. He's better than fame. He's better than a million likes on Facebook. <laughs> He's better than a million followers on TikTok. Amen. 
Jesus is better than anything else. Amen? He's better. He's the answer. And so they see him as a threat because, look, if they follow Jesus, they're not going to need these priests anymore. They're not going to need these sad you sees. They were sad you see because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Amen? And so the, he, here they are, religious leaders. Jesus comes. They see him as a threat. The attack's coming. But the people are singing his praise songs. Some of them will continue to follow him. Most of them will abandon him. God, it's not enough to come in here and sing a praise song. It's been said, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. <laughs> I surrender all, I mean, some, kind of, a little bit. Ouch, amen. <laughs> we should be surrendering all, but how long have fully surrendered everything in your life, all of it, all the time? Uh, nobody. And now you are a liar, amen. But we should surrender, right? But here's the point. So they come in, this looks good. Hey, they're singing praise songs. The disciples, you imagine, I always put my, myself in everybody's shoes when I read something. I imagine the disciples walking behind him. They've seen all the, the grief he's caught, and they're like, wow, this is finally going to happen. The crowd's shouting. They're singing out to him. They're calling him the Messiah. They finally got it. Can you hear the other disciples? They finally got it. This is going to be amazing. We're going to waltz in here and take over. That wasn't God's plan. Guys, it's not God's plan for us either. Jesus is God in human flesh. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He doesn't avoid the religious leaders. He knows they will have him condemned. He will confront them and he will cleanse the temple. They knew, he knew what was coming. He wasn't looking forward to it. Remember in the garden, what does he say? Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was not looking forward to the cross as, as a joyous event. He knew the pain that was coming with it. And even more than the physical pain, he knew that there would be separation from the Father, which would be the worst thing he ever had to endure. See, the hardest thing, one of the, the, the greatest heartaches of sin is it separates. Amen? It separates. I had a tough week this week. Sin has separated me from my son. Man, that hurts. But because of grace, that separation is temporary. Amen? See, that's why Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, because, because we have sinned, we're all going to die if we don't get raptured first. Amen? And what does death do? It, it joins us to the Father, but it separates us from the people that we love that are here. And that's, that's what sin does. It separates and Jesus came to triumph over sin and death so we no longer have to be separated first and foremost from him. Amen? You've heard me say this. I had to ask God to forgive me. I said, Lord, if I go to heaven today, I'm probably going to run to Mark before I run to you because I still have you. Amen? He's still with me. He hasn't left me for five seconds. And so separation, it's, it's the heartache of separation. And separation comes from sin. It's an archery term that's the distance between perfection and where the arrow lands. We're separated from him. So Jesus came to restore sinful man back to holy God. But it wouldn't come cheaply. He endured all of it out of love for you. He knew what was coming. So this Palm Sunday, the cries of adoration, their cries for help, fulfilling Daniel's prophecy to the day, 173,880 days, exactly when it happened. Well, in a matter of days, turn into cries of condemnation. They're crying out, save now, we pray you, and four days later, away with him. Crucify him. Why? Because he didn't come and give them what they wanted. People will say, I tried Jesus, that didn't work out for me. You don't try Jesus. Amen? These have bumper stickers in the 70s. Give Jesus a try. No. You surrender your life to Jesus, amen? Because when you're trying Jesus, you're telling Jesus, I'll give you a shot, but here's what I want. I want a beautiful wife. I want a promotion at work. I want this, I want this, I want this. And then when those things don't happen the way you want, you stop trying Jesus and you try something else. Guys, we don't tell Jesus what to do. We don't make commands of Jesus. We come humbly and broken before him and thankful for what he's already done for us, not making demands of him to do anything else. Can I get an amen to that? So here they are. Hey, 
Save now, we pray you. Get rid of the Roman dogs, that Caesar. We hate that guy. Get rid of him. Help us. We want you to fix everything in our government. We want you to put us in positions of power and authority. That's what we're looking for. And when Jesus comes and doesn't do it quickly, they're going to want to get rid of him. Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They wanted an earthly Roman conqueror, not an eternal spiritual redeemer. And while it seems that they are truly worshiping Jesus, what they're really saying is, overthrow the government, save now. Help us economically, save now. Lead us militarily, save now. Get us out of this pandemic, save now. And they're crying out for things that are temporary. Should have been crying out, Lord, save us from our sins. Notice what it says there. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from, the, from Nazareth of Galilee. Now note the different views of who Jesus is among the people. It's still prevalent today. The crowd was shouting Hosanna, laying their clothes and calling him the son of David. That's Messiah. They don't call him a Messiah. They call him a prophet. Well, is Jesus a prophet? What's the answer? Yes. yes. But is he more than a prophet? Yes. Okay. A lot of prophets in those days, many prophets, one savior, one redeemer, one almighty God in human flesh. Clearly they recognized Jesus, the Messiah for what they had been waiting for, but their own physical expectations. And now when he doesn't meet their expectations, as we will see, they're going to want nothing to do with him. The word it says there that the, the city was moved. The word Greek there is seismic. It's where we get the word for uh, earthquakes. When Jesus showed up, it shook the whole city up. Guys, when you go to work, you bring the Holy Spirit with you, you ought to shake up the whole building, amen? Wherever we go, again, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are and who dwells in us, we ought to be having an impact on the world around us, amen? Jesus showed up and the whole place was shaken. A whole lot of shaking going on, Amen. When Jesus showed up, the whole city was shook up, not physically, but spiritually and emotionally. It included in the crowd, Jews who lived in Jerusalem, the crowd had witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Oh, by the way, he raised somebody from the dead last time he was here. Not far from here anyway. You're raising people from the dead. He triumphed over sin and death. He'd walked on water. He'd healed the lame. He'd healed the lepers. And every time he did something miraculous, they tried to shut him up. Because he was a threat to the religious leaders. How dare you heal on this Sabbath? And they would mock him. You know why they were mad that he healed on the Sabbath? Because they couldn't heal any day. <laughs> Amen? See how Pharisees heal anybody in Scripture? No. News of Jesus' miracles, no doubt, had traveled through the crowd. They wanted a miracle worker to perform for them. The religious leaders still only concerned about their own interests, concerned about how Jesus might impact their power and their position. Jesus showed up, the crowd was shook up. We need the Holy Spirit to show up, amen? Multitude in Jerusalem in response to the stir said, who is this guy? Then in verse 10, who is this? And they say he's the prophet. Again, not the Messiah, not the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but a simple prophet from the less than impressive city of Nazareth. That was almost like a slam. He's a prophet from Nazareth. You know, he's a prophet from El Segundo or whatever, right? <laughs> you know, like just some non-famous place, you know, some place that people didn't view in high regard. And so they're kind of, well, he's a prophet. The world today will only recognize Jesus as God if he meets their expectations. It's not faith, but it's conditional. Amen? It's not, if you do this for me, God, then I will believe. That's not faith. We don't try Jesus, we surrender our lives. Many see Jesus as merely a prophet or a good man or a good teacher. You know, people say to you, I believe in Jesus. What do you believe about him? Well, he was a good man. A lot more than that. He was a good teacher. Okay, well, let's talk about what he taught. Someone they maybe can learn something from. I saw recently the Babylon Bee interviewed, uh, who's the Tesla guy? Elon. Elon Musk. And at the end of it, they asked him if he wanted to become a Christian. And then his response was, well, I believe in some of what he teaches. And, you know, I think he's 
listening to him is probably good for us. They're like, oh, okay, praise God, so you're a Christian now. No, you're not. That's not enough, amen? The demons believe and tremble. Pray for Elon Musk. Pray for everybody who's not saved, that they will come to know the Lord. They don't think that he's the God who created them or that he's worthy of praise and adoration or the Redeemer who saved them from their sins. Those who see Jesus as a threat to their lifestyle, religious leaders, uh, again, a clear threat to them. People reject Jesus today because, again, they don't want to be accountable to him. So God only, if he meets my expectations, that's conditional faith. A good man, a good teacher, someone who I could learn a few things from, or a, a threat to my way of life. There's the world right there. They see either, if they don't know the Lord, it's either conditional faith, if he meets my needs, he's a good man I could probably learn something from, or he's a threat to my way of life. It's not enough to believe in Jesus or to recognize him as a good teacher. We must surrender our lives to him. So now notice how he responds. Last part, we're going to look at verse 20, 12 to 22. So how does Jesus respond? Where does Jesus go? So he's finally entered in. It's been prophesied, you know, that 173,880 days he's going to come into town. So does he go directly to, to confront Caesar? Does he go to, does he go to the, you know, to the, to the governmental headquarters? Where does he go? Look at verse 12. Then Jesus went into what? The what? The temple. He went to where the religious people met. Because there were people who were religious and lost. There were people who had been making sacrifices for thousands of years and didn't recognize that Jesus was the one that all the sacrifices was point, were pointing to. And so he goes into the temple and look what it says there. So he goes into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought, bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. The multitude must have thought he would head straight for the fortress of Antonia and deal with the Romans. Instead, he went and dealt with the Jews. And what does he do? He goes in to the temple and the money changers. Now, remember money changers? Again, this is Passover season, so they're really making a lot of money right now. So when they would make a sacrifice, it had to be judged by the priest as clean. So what the priest would typically do is these religious leaders, they would say, well, that animal's not good enough, but you can buy one of our animals. And then their animals would be five times the price. And then they would make even more money because wherever you came from, they'd give you a bad exchange. So they would make money on the exchange of the money. And then they would really stick it to you to buy a, an animal that was uh, able to be sacrificed. And so they were turning his father's house into a den of thieves. So people involved in religious things trying to make money. Gee, there's a shocker. <laughs> we still have that in the world today, don't we? If you've got a pastor flying around in a private jet, time to get another church. Amen? But the reality is that they're losing sight of what it's really about. And so when Jesus goes in there, he, he walks in and he flips the tables. By the way, he was, a, a, con, you know, he was a, a contractor, right? He was a carpenter. Jesus was not a wimp. Amen? And he went in and was flipping stone tables. We know earlier he got a whip and he drove them out of the temple. You know what grieves the heart of God more than a hypocritical person living in the world? A hypocritical person saying they stand for God in the church. Amen? He loved on the woman caught in adultery. He loved on the tax collector. And he took a whip to the religious leaders that turned his father's house into a den of thieves. Amen? Be mindful of that. They would sell animals and they would use this as a profit-making venture and it grieved the heart of God. It says in verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now people, people always say that, like sometimes when I'm real direct, they'll go, well, I don't think Jesus would talk that way. Have you read the Bible? He's kind and loving and gracious to someone who comes broken and repentant. What did he call? He called them a brood of vipers. You know what that is? A bunch of snakes. He said he called them white men's to whitewashed tombs. You know what I'm saying? On the outside, you look really good, but on the inside, you're just a bunch of dead bones. You're a dead guy, man. You're a dead man walking. You're vile individuals. The Lord, you know why? Because the Lord wants to see people saved and they were leading people away from him. How would, you know what, look, all I can tell you is, the, the most kind and meek mom on the planet, if somebody's trying to take her kids and harm them, you see a whole nother person, amen? They're trying to take 
the people that Jesus died for and draw them away to a lie that will destroy them. And Jesus does not tolerate that. Amen? And he calls them out. By the way, the house should be a house of prayer. It says in Isaiah, for my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. How many besides me need to pray more? I want to encourage you. We have prayer every Sunday morning at nine o'clock. We've announced it for nine years. There was five of us in there this morning. I want to encourage you to come and pray. You don't have to come there to pray, but I want to encourage you. We need to pray more. Amen? Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our heart. They turned the court of Gentiles, the only place in the temple where the Gentiles could enter and pray, into a loud and godless den of thieves. It looked like a swap meet. You know, just all this stuff going on, all this noise happening, money being exchanged. It was supposed to be a place where they came and humbled themselves and prayed. And again, it's not unlike anything we might see on Christian television today. You guys, we want revival, we need to pray. If we want to experience uh, spiritual intimacy with God, we need to pray. You want to know God's will, you need to pray. You want to be an effective tool for the kingdom of God, you need to pray. You want to see Calvary Chapel, Caneo Valley have an impact on the city around us, we need to pray. And you want to see the lost saved, you need to pray. Amen? Encourage all of us. Then he says this, Then a blind and lame man came to him in the temple, and he healed them. How dare you? Lord, how dare you heal people? The lame and the blind came to the Lord. You know why? They were desperate. And you know what? Sometimes we need to be desperate before we'll finally come to the Lord the way that we should. Amen? He comes. They find him. You know, everybody else wants him to rule over Rome. The blind guy's like, dude, I can't see. I heard he's saying, lame blind people. Can you show me how to get to him? Could somebody take me to him? The lame guy getting carried by his friends. Where is Jesus? I heard he hailed the lame guy before. Where is he? coming desperate. Those are the ones the Lord meets. This should be a place where the spiritually blind and lame can come and receive sight and the healing touch of the Lord. The needy should feel welcome and find the kind of help they need. Again, his house is to be a house of prayer, and it's a place where those who are hurting can come to be healed. Now, notice what happens. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were very blessed to know that the Messiah had finally arrived. Is that what it says? <laughs> it says they were what? What's the word there? They were indignant. They were indignant. They were angry. They were bitter. The word indignant literally means angry. They were angry. How dare you heal people? How dare you come in and, 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 and let them call you the Messiah? We're the ones supposed to be pointing people to the Messiah, and they wanted to condemn him. The chief priests and scribes, they were the religious leaders who were supposed to be God's representatives to preach the word, to offer sacrifices, had instead allowed their positions and the praise of men to go to their heads, and they added burdens to the people and with a bunch of man-made rituals, and they were such hypocrites of the greed and theft of the temple didn't even bother them. Notice children came to them. Praise God for children, amen? amen? Childlike faith. The religious leaders were angered in cleansing the temple. The, ch the children rejoiced. Children have no agenda. They just don't. Lord, give us childlike faith, amen? They were angry. They were jealous. Verse 16, he said to them, do you hear these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Amen, amen, and amen. So the religious leader's are like, do you hear what they're calling you? Do you hear what they're saying about? They're calling you the Messiah. And then I, I love the Lord. He takes the word of God they're supposed to know and then repeats it back to them. <laughs> Just take them to the word. By the way, guys, have you, by the way, have you ever read? I love that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hey, Mr. Scholar of the Bible over there, have you ever read? Let me tell you what it says. You should know this. Here's what it says. Out of the mouth of babes and nerfing infants, you have perfected praise. He doesn't shy away from it. He, recognize, he, he says that praise is legitimate. It's praise that was given by Almighty God. Then they left him and went out to the city of Bethany and he lodged there. So he left the city and goes out to Bethany. He had three friends that lived in Bethany. Bonus points, who would that be? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Amen? One of the guys got raised from the dead. That's a good friend to have. Amen? So here they are, and he, and he goes to their home and spends time 
in their presence. Let me finish up. And he says, and seeing a fig tree by the road, this seems so random. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it, but leaves. And he said to it, let, the, let no fruit grow on that tree ever. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Now the fig tree in the Bible represents Israel. If you go to Israel, they're everywhere. And he's walking by a fig tree. He's going to the cross. He's just been praised. He walks by a fig tree. Can you imagine the disciples walking behind him? He said, oh, it's not bearing any fruit. Maybe never bear fruit again. And it withered away and died. The fig tree is a picture of Israel. Here's what happened. Again, Israel is God's chosen people. He's the Messiah. Sadly, because many, most of the religious leaders had turned their back from the true and living God, had gotten caught up in religion, didn't have a relationship. What happens? What happened is that they've fallen away from the Lord and now the Messiah has come and they've rejected him. And now that means, guess what? That Israel is going to face righteous judgment. And they did. Amen? By AD 70, it's gone. Temple's destroyed. The Romans have overthrown. Now again, God was not done with Israel and he's still not. And we're pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Amen? Only nation to ever be re-restored again and praise God for that. And then he says, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did he, the fig tree wither away so soon? Dude, do the disciples just blow you away sometimes? <laughs> they saw him say to the waves, be still. They saw him cast demons into swine and they ran off a cliff. He saw him heal lepers, heal, but a tree withering baffles them. <laughs> But sometimes we can get that way with the Lord where we're so blown away because we've lost our faith and, and, uh, and recognizing the greatness of our God. Guys, I don't care what you're going through right now. Our God is greater. He's greater. We must not lose sight of the greatness of our God. The pilgrims had crowded Jerusalem. He fled up to Bethany. He's walking by and they're like, how did, how did that happen? And let's finish up. And Jesus answered, surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what it was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to a mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. You know, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And our prayer should be for the will of God and for God's will to be done. And he pronounced judgment upon Israel because they had had thousands of years to recognize who he was. And now he has come. Now, praise God. The first century church is almost all Jewish people. So it's, we don't want to group them all together. There were many, you know, the disciples were, were Jews. Luke was half Gentile. But they all followed the Lord. The early church, Right? the writers of the New Testament for the most part. So praise God for Israel, amen? amen? So he's condemning not every person, but just the fact that they've been exposed to so much truth and yet they still rejected the Lord. Here's what's my concern as we close. Some of you may have been going to church your whole life, have been going to church a long time, and you know about the Lord, but you don't know him. And there's a day coming when you're going to stand before Almighty God, and if there's never been any fruit in your life, you too are going to be withered away like that fig tree, separated from Almighty God for all eternity. Guys, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. He'd rather die than live without you. He had a divine appointment with Jerusalem, and he came into, this is the beginning of Passion Week, okay? We're going to go through this whole thing. If you come on Thursday, we're going to look at the cross. If you're here next Sunday, we're going to see the resurrection. And during this week, Jesus has now entered in. He's going to face all the torment, all the suffering, all the shame. And he's going to endure it out of love for you. And he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He proved it on the cross of Calvary. But that being said, while he offers salvation universally, he will not force salvation upon you. God has no grandchildren. You're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not saved because you go to church. At some point, you must surrender your life to him. Make him more than savior. We must make him Lord. Amen? So, Jesus presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. He's the king of kings. He's the answer. He's the one they've been waiting for. Jesus confronts hypocrisy. Some people praise him for a moment, and then you have those that, again, have turned his father's house into a den of thieves. My heart for everyone here, as we enter into Passion Week, as we contemplate the greatest act of love in all of human history, 
is that we would look at our own walk and our own relationship with the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Do you have a relationship with him? The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Not Savior, but Lord. The word is, talks about repentance. So I'm headed in this direction. You know, I believe that there's a God, but I don't have a relationship with him. And I'm walking this way. And the Lord is, brings conviction to your life to repent. Repent means to turn around, to change your mind, and to surrender your life fully to the Lord. If you've never done that, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Amen? To say, you know what? I've been living my own way, and it's not working out. And I know about the Lord, but I've never fully surrendered my life to the Lord. The Lord loves you. He's the only way to heaven. Salvation's offered universally. It must be accepted individually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And you alone are God. You're the true and living God. You're the creator of all things. And Lord, I know that everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And I pray that there's even one person here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. It wouldn't just be a, a belief that you exist. It would go beyond in, in, in believing that Jesus lived. But it would come to a place where we're ready to fully surrender our lives to you. If you're here today, Again, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Not asking you to join a church. This is really between you and the Lord, but it's a public profession of, I, I want to surrender my life to him. Lord, I'm ready to make you the king of my life, to take myself off the throne and put you there, to surrender my life to you, to have your Holy Spirit come to live inside of me, to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I'll have the promise of heaven. If that's your desire this morning, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are and I want to pray with you. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Let today be the day of salvation. It's not religion that saves us. It's a, it's a relationship with the Lord. Anybody else? For the one who raised his hand and anybody else who may have a heart to do this, just, just pray and repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Lord, forgive me. Take residence in my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.